This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, as we consider the whole reality of a broken world, which is groaning, and we're groaning, and the Spirit groaning for us, uh, we're all at, we've all got a different story to tell. We've all got different experiences of suffering. But what is clear, Lord, that suffering is on the horizon sooner or later in this broken world. And Father, we pray whatever vantage point it is, whether it's being prepared for it uh, or whether it's the experience in the present, Father, help us to align our thinking now. Uh, help us to think your thoughts. Help us to uh, reframe our way of approaching uh, the, the reality of a broken body in a broken world, but with a certain hope and patience that's unique, knowing that not only God the Father and God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit has got our back. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the way of the Messiah is the way of the Messiah's people. Um, Jesus emphasised that, and that's the way of suffering. And if you don't have a robust understanding of suffering, you will not survive well as a Christian. I'm not saying you won't survive, but you won't survive well with joy in your heart. And it'll either be your suffering or the suffering of someone you love, perhaps even a child or a spouse, that can send you into dark corners of doubt when it comes to whether God really loves you and is for you. Steve Jobs, you know, the whiskey of Apple, he... Um, he tells a story in his biography um, that when he was 13, he was, his adopted family took him to a Lutheran church and he saw in a Life magazine, it was a very popular magazine at the time, it had a photograph of two African children starving. And he took the magazine to his Lutheran pastor at Sunday school and said, does God know about this and what's going to happen to these kids? And the Lutheran pastor tried to begin to explain and he just really was just wanting a yes or no. And, and Steve, uh, and the pastor said, yes, Steve, he does know. And Steve said, well, I want to have nothing to do with a God like that, and I do not want to worship him. Uh, which is ironic, really, because Steve Jobs ended up pursuing and investigating Zen Buddhism for years that doesn't even believe in suffering. So it always felt ironic to me. Now, I know, and you know, that Christianity does not have all the answers when it comes to suffering. You need to just put it out on the table, right? Um, it doesn't explain, for example, why some people suffer more than others. That's really the hardest one to swallow, I think. It is a mystery. But without doubt, the Christian worldview has the best answers to suffering by a long shot. Not the least is we've got a God who personally entered into our world and experienced the horror that we had caused functionally and endure the, the, the pain and then the blame and the shame that we had caused, and then dealt with that decisively with the promise that he's coming back to usher in a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more crying or grief or pain. You know, like we're halfway in a movie and the movie's going to end really well. Now you need to... I reckon they're outstanding answers. But you don't get all the answers. But today's part of the answer within that. See, the first half of Romans 8 really wants to talk about assurance in the face of sin. 
But the second half of Romans 8 that we're going to look at this morning is really about assurance in the face of suffering. And by that, assurance in the sense of God loving you. You know, there's a phrase I love to use about Romans, that God not only wants to save you, but he wants you to know that you're saved. Like it really matters to God. We're a loving father. So how is it possible to cope with suffering then? Well, it's by understanding the big picture. So you constantly got to stand back and look at the big picture as you deal with suffering. So in verse 18, we've got that classic verse, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's kind of as calculated as that. It's almost the language of a, an accountant weighing up credits and debits. You know, that, um, that when I measure the suffering now in this age with the glory that's about to be revealed... You just can't compare. It's like a $5 lottery ticket and a $5 million lottery win. Like They just don't compare. Now you ask, why, Lord? Why? Then you'll say, my goodness, it was so worth it. Let me share a very silly example of this. Um, I'm cursed with being a fan. I happen to be a rugby league St. George Illawarra fan, but... For those of you who don't understand this curse, have mercy on us because we can't flush it out of our system. Anyway, so I followed the Dragons for 31 years, no grand final. We were in five grand finals, but we didn't win one of them. It was painful. And then 2010 came. Oh, my goodness, we won. And to make it better, we beat the Roosters. Like It was just so much better. Okay, so there we were. And after the grand final, we then went to the Jubilee of the, the, the home uh, Oval and Cogra, and there were 10,000 of St George supporters who'd been waiting 30 years like me uh, in our big red Vs and hugging each other. We had this sort of counterfeit fellowship, you know, hugging each other and celebrating and singing. And in fact, we, we were so excited, we moved and stopped the, what's, is that the, what highway is that? Princess Highway. We stopped the traffic both sides at two in the morning. I'm a 50-year-old Anglican minister, and I am dancing at two in the morning, stopping the traffic. I was going to milk this experience for all I could. But one of the things I remembered in that joy was I remembered this verse. You know, I consider the sufferings now not worth comparing with the glory. So I thought, I'm in the kind of glory now. And as I look back on 30 years of disappointment, I thought, wow, it was really worth it. It was an interesting verse. I thought, this was the verse I was thinking. And I thought, this is what it's going to be like in the new creation. When I'm dancing away in the new creation, I'm going to look back on all the pain that I and others experienced and I'm going to say, wow, it was really worth it. I consider now the sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. <laughs> but in the meantime, we wait. We wait patiently. We wait with certainty. Uh, the, the, the word in the original, it's the, 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 that word of wait, it's eagerly wait, and it's mentioned three times in the text. And you don't eagerly await for a possibility. Uh, we're sort of kind of busting at the bit with what's about to take place when Jesus returns in the new creation. Our bodies are going to get that makeover that cosmetic surgery will never be able to provide. And we're not going to be watching that glory from the sideline. We're actually going to be caught up in it. It's a glory that will be revealed in us. It will involve the transformation of our bodies. But for now, in this age, we groan. And the word groaning is really the word used to describe what your mum was doing when she was giving birth to you. <laughs> you can bet your life she wasn't singing What a Wonderful World. And those of you mothers out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a groaning that looks forward to that final release. So look who's groaning in this passage. It's quite interesting. It's, this is framework building. Don't lose this framework. So who's groaning? Well, there's three aspects that are groaning, three areas. Creation is groaning. I, I think this is actually quite surprising. 
Um, let's walk kind of backwards in this section. We'll go to verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. So creation is groaning, but it's not just some of it, some parts of it. The whole of creation is groaning. It's not right. Beautiful as it is, kind of like humans, we're a glorious ruin, part glory, part ruin. Um, the whole of creation has been groaning right up until the present time. Now remember when Paul said this, he was living pre-industrial era, right? Um, it's not just the 21st century where creation is groaning because some idiot allowed an oil tanker to leak poison in a barrier reef, bad as that is. You know, creation is groaning, and here's a radical idea, as much in the untouched portions of a Tasmanian forest. It's groaning there as well. The whole of creation. Just as Israel was groaning when they were enslaved in Egypt looking forward to their freedom. In fact, that Exodus theme gets blown out on a much cosmic order in Romans 8. So one becomes a microcosm. Israel in Egypt enslaved, looking forward to their freedom, becomes a microcosm of the big picture of the whole of creation needing to be liberated. So in verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So, wow, when you look at this beautiful... I love this part of the world. It's magnificent. I've got to understand it is both glorious and groaning all at the same time. I've got to let this inform my view of creation. Every cell, every tree, every animal cries out for freedom. The universe is locked into this never-ending cycle of decline and death and decay and decomposition. Um... And that's why one of the pictures of the new creation is the lamb and the lion lying down together. You know, like, wow, the prey-predator distinction kind of gets blurred at that point. Now you put a lion and a lamb together, you come back an hour later, you've got a lion with a whole lot of blood in the floor licking its lips. And note, humans didn't enslave creation to allow it to cause it to be subject to futility. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. It's God. It's God who cursed the ground. And when Adam sinned, he not only brought himself down, he actually brought the whole creation down with him. It's not just Eve who will be experiencing the pains of childbirth. The whole creation is experiencing the pains of childbirth. We live in a world that's broken, basically that's what it's saying. Beautiful and broken all at the same time where tsunamis and earthquakes and floods and fires are the norm. So I know it's a radical idea, but so creation is not just some balanced cycle of life in perfect harmony, if only we get out of its way. I mean, there's obviously truth to it. It is a balanced, beautiful balance, beautifully balanced uh, cycle. But in that cycle, death kind of scars the experience. Death is everywhere. I mean, we're more mindful of the humanity of the experience, but my goodness, it is everywhere. Um, I remember my first Sunday as a pastor, this is a true story, my first Sunday as a pastor, right? Um, so MBM was launched, we needed, they needed to, the Anglican church needed to locate us somewhere, so they wanted us in Blacktown Anglican. And, and so uh, first day I started there, first Sunday as a minister. Um, I don't know if you know John and Sarah Anderson, they're friends of the Sparkses, and uh, their parents asked me to come uh, because, uh, to their home that first Sunday for lunch. Um, and the problem was they wanted me to do something. They, their kids had dwarf rabbits, 
And the dwarf rabbits had myxomatosis. I don't know if you know myxomatosis. It was released as a virus to wipe out rabbits in Australia. And if you've ever seen a rabbit with myxomatosis, their eyes are puffed up and they need to be put down like it's really cruel, cruel virus. It just harms them. So they heard I was Maltese and Maltese love eating rabbits. So they figured I could probably be the kind of guy that could kill a rabbit and take this animal rather than take it to the vet and get, you know, have to pay a hundred bucks. So, so I said, yeah, yeah, because I grew up with 40, 50 rabbits. It was my job to feed them. And every Sunday we'd go and, you know, my dad, you know, we'd kill them and eat them and so forth. So, sorry for giving you a bit too blunt if you've got sensitivities in this area. But anyway, that's what it is. So I said to Perry and Kim, yep, no problem. I'll come around and uh, do the deed. Anyway, well, they, they placed the dwarf rabbit in my hand. I thought, you know, I never actually killed the rabbit. My dad always did. And I said, mm, I've got to channel my dad now. Okay, what would he do? And, and he grabbed the back of the head with one hand and the back of the legs, and he'd do it so beautifully. We'd be talking, click, and it was just like, it was a good way to go. And I wish I would go that well. <laughs> click, and, and I thought, you know, so I thought I'd do that, but the click, and except I used a little bit too much force and the head popped off in my hand. I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, and, and I went, ah! And to this day, the, the, they're still scarred as a result. <laughs> Creation is groaning, and so is that family. <laughs> Although one of those kids who was scarred, Jono, he's now one of our deacons, so I think he's moved on. And you know Lion King's not a true story, right? Kuna Matata may mean no worries, but that's the last thing a gazelle's thinking when a lion's got it by the throat. It was God who enslaved creation to death and decay, and it will be the same God who will set it free. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So the resurrection of the children of God on the last day will spearhead a new creation. Uh, we're kind of like first cab off the rank. So friends, you know, if you, you could actually say Christians are kind of the ultimate greenies because creation's not just waiting for a government policy on, on how to manage, the, which, by the way, we need. <laughs> um, it, what, what it's really waiting for is the resurrection of you. <laughs> it's waiting for your resurrection. It will spear it and finally liberate it from its enslavement to death and decay. Now, I've, whenever I say this, I've got to make sure, for those who are inclined not to want to take care of this uh, beautiful world that we've been given, when you think about the environment, I think, environment, I never get the end right on that, there are three things you've got to keep thinking about. Um, by the way, when you hear this, this is not an excuse to be a bad steward for our environment. Number one is we've got to take care of this earth uh, because we have been entrusted with a precious, precious gift as stewards who will have to give an account to Jesus on the last day. Okay? You, you've got to say we, we are human image bearers who are responsible for taking care of this earth. Two, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Now, if he was coming back tomorrow, he would put a lot of energy into it. But, but because we don't know, and, we, and the fact is he, he may not come for several millenniums, <laughs> um, then we, we, we know that this world needs to be taken care for in the long term. Thirdly, if you love people and you love the generations yet unborn, it's, it's upon us to hand this world better than the we received it, not worse. But let's be very clear with those three clear statements. Creation is enslaved to death and decay. And the ultimate hope for this creation is the resurrection of Jesus' people. And every, any other view to ecology begins to border on idolatry and starts to put humans as the great saviours of the universe. 
It's actually Jesus, the great saviour of this universe, this cosmic world that we enjoy. We suffer because this creation is groaning. Um, but we're not the only, creation's not the only thing that's groaning. Point two is we children of God are groaning. Uh, and depending on the day, you might be tuned into this. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So isn't that interesting? Even though we have the Spirit, what a great blessing. And you'll see that more to, tomorrow when you hear about Romans 1.17. The Spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. You know, the, the Spirit that functions as our adoption papers. Um, that seals our certainty with God. But even though we have the Spirit dwelling within us, which is a unique privilege, we still are groaning. Partly because we've got the first fruits of the Spirit, the, the down payment. You know, um, there's more to come. And the Spirit, uh, the gift of the Spirit, in some senses, kind of causes a godly discontent. Because we know of the more that's to come. We now have our eyes open of the new creation. And there's a sense where I'm groaning, my, my body's groaning, this creation's groaning, and I know the hope that lies before me. And it's actually built within me a sense of discontent. Don't despise the discontent. Don't allow any version of Christianity that wants to deny that discontent. It's actually part of the experience. It's normalising our experience. It's okay. I want more, the more that I haven't got yet. I'm, I'm built for heaven. I'm not built for earth. Sorry, I'm built for the new heaven and the new earth, is a better way of saying it. The gift of the Spirit doesn't give you an endless list of victories over every suffering and sickness. Some, yes, but not all. Spiritful we may be, but we operate within this mortal coil, this body that's, that's dying on us. You know that wedding day photo some of you got? Well, that's about as good as it gets, still downhill after that. <laughs> Certainly that's been my experience anyway. The best is yet to come. And the more to come, you notice, is our adoption. Now, that's interesting because I know we've reversed it. So tomorrow you'll see that you know, it's the high, highest gift that the Father has given us is our adoption. So it's already ours. We can cry out, Abba, Father. The judge of all the earth is our dad, right? Like, that's it. That's as good as it gets in terms of spiritual blessings. But here, adoption seems to be a future experience. And, and so, yes, we have the full benefits but when he talks about an adoption, look what he says. We eagerly await for our, our adoption to sonship. Okay. And then he explains it. Ooh, the redemption of our bodies. Ah, he's talking about the full benefits of our adoption now. And that's still yet to come. Notice it's not redemption from our body. Redemption just means being set free at a cost. Okay, so my body's going to be set free. So, uh, uh, but it, notice it's not redemption from our bodies. Um, you're too old to remember. You're too young to remember the uh, the old cartoon, Casper the Friendly Ghost. But you know he was just a ghost. You know, like that's not my future goal. A a, a bodiless spirit. That's not where I'm heading. Um, uh, that we're looking forward to being set free with a brand new body. The bodily resurrection is a beautiful doctrine. It affirms your uniqueness and your identity and your you. You're not going to get merged into some oblivious sea of 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 oneness. There will be a unity that we will have, but you don't, that's the uniqueness of Christianity. It affirms the individual, and that's never more on, on, on the table than when we talk about the resurrection of you. Not just yous, I'm a Westie, but you, singular. 
And we're going to give it a, a body, we're told in Philippians, that will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus' glorified body. That's pretty cool. So if you want to know what your future looks like, flip over to the back end of the Gospels where you see Jesus' resurrection appearances. That's you. That's, that's the closest you get to a version of you um, once you're resurrected. It's pretty cool. And boy, do we need new bodies. You know, when I was, you know, like when I was a teenager, you, you think you're bulletproof, right? And I always thought that hospitals and car accidents were for somebody else, that I was destined for a distance to a different... I don't know why I thought this. Um, and then as the years, uh, you know, it felt like I'm going to live long and live healthy. And then it just started to happen, one thing after another. At 19, I went through a windscreen of a Fiat when my friend was driving. Uh, and sure, I didn't have the seatbelt on, that didn't help. Um, and then my appendix burst, and I nearly died on that one. And then there were two knee operations. Um, I had a hernia. Uh, I lost a tooth. I didn't see that coming. Um, I had a colonoscopy, but too much information, Ray. Um, <laughs> bouts of anxiety and depression have creeped up into my world. Last four years, I've kind of battled with anxiety. Where did that come from? I never used to have that. I thought the older you get, you're sort of more secure and together. But no, no, the wheels start to fall off even emotionally. And this body is subject to decay. And all the fluoride in the world ain't going to stop that. And the proof that you have a living hope is that you wait patiently. It's how you wait. Uh, Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The future hope determines how we manage the present sufferings. That, that's a tight connection. I mean, you know when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about, you know, touch wood, fingers crossed. Um, it, it's talking about a guaranteed outcome. Always got to rethink hope. It's not like the rest of the, the way the world defines it. Now, my father came to Australia in 1939, and uh, he's 21 years old, had no family here, um, didn't know a lot of English, couldn't find a job, and after he arrived in Australia, finally worked up in Mackay, cutting cane, on a 12-week contract. After three weeks, and you've got to understand, he was living in a, washing in a creek, sleeping in a Hessian bag in a, sh- in a shed, you know, and uh, this is Australia, the land of glory. Uh, and, uh, and he tells a story that after about three weeks, he was chopping a tree, and the axe bounced off the gum tree and landed square on his foot, severed veins or whatever, and ligaments. He had to crawl back to the homestead, like three kilometres, had to plead with the owner of the house to call the ambulance. She didn't want to do it because it would have cost us some money, I think. And then when the ambulance came, which is only a car, they threw him in the back seat. Then the ambulance drivers decided to stop off for lunch for an hour on their way to the hospital while he's in the back seat in agony. And then he's in hospital for a month. Remember, with little English, he's only 21. His family's on the other side of the world. It was so hard. I said, and I, when he, whenever Dad told that story, and he did tell it a few times, whenever he told that story, I, I, once I said, oh, Dad, you must have so regretted coming to Australia. And quick as a flash, he said, oh, no, I always knew this was a better country. Now, you think about it. In the midst of having your leg nearly severed, your foot severed, in so much pain, so alone, you would have thought some despondency might have set in. But for some unbelievable reason, he had this optimism about a future that Australia promised. That's a little window. His, his management of the suffering was shaped by a future that was really uncertain. But for him, Australia would promise that. For us, 
There's a new creation coming. And because of that, we get to endure the suffering now because of the glory that will be come. And, and let's face it, what's the alternative anyway? A materialistic worldview offers you nothing. Oh, my goodness. Um, my, the bishop of our area is Ivan Lee. And, and Ivan is presently experiencing pancreatic cancer and, and it's, he survived four years, which is its own blessing from God. That's far more than he expected. And, uh, but he tells a story that when he was seven, he asked his father, he's Chinese, he asked his Buddhist father, uh, do you, dad, what is the meaning of life? And his father said, son, there is no meaning of life. He said, you were, uh, there is no God, he said. You were nothing. You, are, you were nothing. Then um, you became something. You were born. You grow up. You get a job, make some money, get a family. Then you die. You're put in a box. The worms eat you up and then you're nothing again. Oh, my goodness. That's it. And you know what? He was bang on. <laughs> And, and uh, I said, Ivan, how did you feel when you heard that? He said, I was a little bit stressed. In fact, I stayed slightly anxious for about the next 15 years till I finally became a Christian. He said he appreciated his father's honesty because that was the best he had to offer. But that's the, alter- that's the only alternative to what we're offering. You, know, you say no to Christianity, that's what you're saying yes to. And that certain hope is what allows Christians to have endured so much suffering with so much joy. Um, you know, that's, that's what's allowed those Syrian Christians to have endured the horror of ISIS these last few years before they were finally dealt with. That's what allowed some of you to endure when you experienced the darkness of depression. And my goodness, you know, where every day is a fight for life itself and a choice to live. I always think people who battle with serious depression, they're my big heroes. I reckon on the last day when Jesus comes up, they're going to be at the front of the line and we're going to see that for them, every day was its own unique challenge. And they, they persevered through the darkness and we'll see uh, the glory that they gave God as a result. There was a woman who, uh, she wanted to become a Christian and I said to her, uh, she really battled with chronic depression, I said, Marie, you've got to understand said, if you become a Christian, your depression may still be with you. I, I, coming across, I mean, I had a bout of depression that was lifted when I became a Christian, but I know it doesn't always happen that way, so I had to be realistic. I didn't want to pretend. And, and I still remember what she said when I said, right, now, now I'm, I'm tentative, you know, so you understand it's still good. She said, oh, I know that, right. But I know that one day it's going to be over. I know one day it's going to be over. I want to say yes to the Jesus going to make that happen. Patience, the capacity to persevere and hang in there with Jesus in the face of suffering and hang in well with inexpressible joy, says Peter. So creation is groaning. We're groaning, but we don't groan alone. This is the unique teaching, I think, of Romans 8. Romans 8, 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know, when you're suffering, it's very easy to lose your voice. Um, It's very easy to be crushed by the weight of pain, especially chronic pain. My guess is, in a room like this, there'll be some of you who just live with pain. Um, And you get very... It's easy to get overwhelmed with grief and loss, and and you do lose your voice. 
your inability to name what it is and to speak to it, unable to talk to God about it, unable to talk to others about it, um, unable to name what's going on. And, uh, but listen again to what it says. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I love that. So we know, that this is so, think about the wonderful God who is Trinitarian. We have a Father who tells us he knows our needs even before we ask. That's why we pray, right? We're not educating God, but we're casting our cares before him. We have our Lord Jesus who is our sympathetic high priest who actually weeps with us in our weeping in real time. But here we're told the third person of the Spirit has got our back. That God hasn't abandoned us to a, our quota of suffering on this earth. Amidst the suffering, mindful of our weakness, uh, wrapped up in a world of futility and decay, trapped in a body that suffers and struggles, we are left to groan, and our groans sometimes can't quite turn themselves into prayer. You know when you hit that brick wall, you can't even pray? You don't know what to pray, you don't know how to pray. And prayer itself becomes a question of sitting with the pain with God, and the pain, pain sits in your gut like a brick. And at that point, when you don't know how to pray and what to pray, wow, we're told that the Spirit translates those groans into prayers that are dead on target with the Father's will. He actually groans for us. Verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So when we're at our most useless and helpless, okay, our back's against the wall, the Spirit takes our groans and refashions them into prayers that are presented to the Father in accordance with his will. I think that's the only time in the Bible I've ever read that. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's possible, isn't it? It's, this is only possible because of the unique relationship that the Spirit and the Father have in terms of the intimacy that they share with each other and the intimacy they share with you. There's no secrets between them and there's no secrets between them and us which allows then the spirit to, that knows you to, to know you better than you know yourself and then to turn those aches into prayers to the Father who also knows you. In short, he's got our back. I, I just, you know, and, and of course, this all is all premised on the fact that the spirit is a person. Like, I don't know if you've worked it out yet. Like, he's not, he, he's powerful. Um, he's lots of things, but he is a person. <coughs> not like a human. You know, God is a person, angels are persons. My dog is not a person. I personify, but, you know, I know, sorry, dog lovers, I love my dog. I love it, I love pets, but they're not a person. You know that, don't you? Uh, maybe we can have that discussion later. I know I'm in holy ground there, so I'm backing right off. Now, you cat lovers are thinking, yeah, but cats are. <laughs> so, just think about it. The Son of God presents his blood on our behalf. Now, the Spirit of God presents... His prayers on our behalf. What a great God. Now seriously. Like we've been taken into the Trinity. We are experiencing this for us experience for e from every member of the Trinity. And even when we're wrong, he makes it right. <laughs> I I'll tell you, uh, there's a window into my life that I often remember in this. Uh, it was May 2010. You know, we finally got into our new multipurpose building. 
Uh, for 20 years, like you guys, uh, I was involved in setting up, packing up and unpacking up for 20 years in this community's hall or that school. My goodness, we were here, we were there, we were everywhere. Though not, I know you guys have moved much more than we have, so I bow before your experience. You guys are robust and uh, it's, the, it's the making of you. But, you know, we finally got into our building after 20 years. Ah, oh, we were so looking forward to it. And one of the people that was key in that is actually uh, was my deacon at the time, Shane Viglione. He's the father of Isaac, who's a member of your congregation. And, um, and uh, Shane uh, had worked on the project for somewhere between five and ten years, off and on. And it finally happened. Um, uh, but he, he got diagnosed with cancer a couple of months before. And we were told he had two years, but it ended up only being two months. So the only time he ever got into that building was in a coffin. And the funeral was on um, uh, on my birthday, May, you know, when I, I just turned 50. And it was always on my birthday. He took me out for lunch. So there were so many trigger points. And, uh, uh, and he left behind a wife of, at 43 with six kids. Oh, my goodness. It was like we were happy, but we didn't want the building. We just wanted Shane back. Um, and I, I, I fell into a kind of undiagnosed grief and depression for about, I think, maybe 18 months. It was ironic, really, because we grew by an extra 200 people, like, overnight. We're so there was this wonderful thing that was happening. I couldn't give a stuff. I was just really, I was just missing Shane. Well, I, I did give a stuff. I, you know, was celebrating. But, you know, but I, I was really, I couldn't concentrate. I, I just... I just couldn't stay focused. I couldn't pray. Uh, I'd wake up from sleep in tears. I'd never had that experience before. I'd literally, because you know that moment just before you wake up, you're in that zone, and then the experience of Shane dying had hit me, and then I just, literally, my wife would hear me crying as I sort of woke up. And, and so with that in mind, now picture what is happening within the Godhead. Let me tell you what was happening. Um, the Spirit is having a conversation with the Father. And the Spirit is saying, Father, Ray's really smashed right now. He's gone. But if he knew himself like I know him, this is what he'd want to say to you, but he can't say it. So I want to say it on his behalf. And Father, uh, if Ray knew you like I know you, this is, what he, this is how he'd want to say it. But he can't say it right now, so I'm saying it for him. Just the thought of that concept brings me to tears. And now... Locate that conversation when you're at your worst. And then keep remembering that. Not only is God the Father and God the Son for you, but God the Spirit has your back. We groan. We don't groan alone. For in our dark moments when life is heavy and the pain is as thick as custard and the joy has passed and the tears come quickly, we have a Spirit of God who dwells within our bodies has made himself at home within us and groans for us when we groan and then presents them to our Father in heaven in prayers uh, dead on target with the Father's will. So let me end as I began. In Romans 18 we're told, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I hate false promises. As a kid, you'd watch an ad on TV and occasionally you get the toy that was advertised, like the cars on the racing track, but they never stayed on the track, or the batteries weren't supplied, or the doll's head kept falling off, or whatever you wanted. But have you noticed that? It was always disappointing. I always felt like the joy of Christmas was sort of always tinged so often with that the present was never quite what it promised. 
You're always left with a sense of disappointment. I'm telling you, when you step into the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, you will not have any sense of disappointment or boredom. Uh, you won't be looking around saying, gee, I really thought it would be better than this. You won't even know the experience ever again of disappointment and boredom. It'll be, it really will be perfect one minute, perfect the next. And as you take your place and position your place in the new creation with God's people, and say you bump into that Russian Christian who was in prison for eight years in Siberia because of their love for Jesus, or you bumped into that Canadian young, that woman who, who dived into a body of water and came out a quadriplegic, say. Um, or perhaps the young Jewish man who claimed Jesus as Messiah and as a result his dad disinherited him. Or the Chinese mother who witnessed the death of her own two children in an accidental car, car, uh, car accident. And you settle next to them, one of them and you say, my goodness, didn't you experience a lot of suffering back in that old earth? You know what they'll say to you? Suffering? What's suffering? I barely know what you're talking about. But isn't it great to be here in the presence of our wonderful God? For I consider that our sufferings now cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to grasp that this creation, beautiful as it is, is not a finished product that it's groaning. In all its glory, it's groaning. That it's enslaved to death and decay. And one day, though, we'll be set free, liberated. Thank you, Lord, for normalising our experience. For we too groan in broken bodies in a broken world. My goodness, we groan. Thank you, Lord, that the best is yet to come. Grant us patience in light of that hope. And most of all, Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a God who is for us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit who prays for us when we don't know what to pray, when we don't know how to pray. Praise you for having, truly having our back. Oh, you are indeed a great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you in Jesus' name.